Welcome back to the Uncommon Communion podcast hosted here um, at First Church Birmingham. My name is Catherine Mullen. I use she, her pronouns, and I serve as the Minister of Community Engagement here. And I'm Jonathan Goss, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at First Church and am co-hosting Uncommon Communion with Catherine. And we kind of wanted to do this to share stories of folks from um, all walks of life and We have brought this back. We started this podcast in 2017, and it had a really short run, and then COVID happened, and now we wanted to bring it back, Catherine, because I'm going to let you touch on, like, the social media aspect of why we're doing this. Yeah, for sure. So we've been on TikTok since, uh, I guess, 2021, summer of 2021. Our very first TikTok video blew up, uh, and we got a lot of attention, and we were very visible very quickly. But since then, we've had um, a large amount of people accessing us on our social media. Um, They found a community in us, and they've been inspired to find a community similar to us near them. And we've also had people come and attend and then join our church and our congregation just from finding us on social media, which is really wild um, to think about that. And so as part of my job for social media management, um, I wanted to think of other ways in which people could access us online. And a podcast is a great way to do that. And since we already had one, we already kind of had the branding and stuff set and the intention set. Um, we're bringing it back. It's with like a, with uncommon, a bang. uncommon communion 2.0 is kind of what I was. Oh, thinking. I love that. <laughs> um, well, we wanted to jump in and just like open up and share kind of how our weeks are going just to warm up. And uh, then we're going to introduce our guests and let him share his highs and lows as well. So I'll jump in and start. And um, I'm going to start with my high. My high is, and this may be a low for some folks, but I'm going to Six Flags next week with our student ministry. Yeehaw. I love roller coasters. And so I'm going to ride Goliath multiple times. The best roller coaster in Atlanta. I don't know outside of the state of Georgia. But then we're going to a Braves game, which I'm super excited about. Love the Braves. They're playing the Mets. And that's going to be that really feels like fun. a pretty big game. Oh yeah, it'll be really intense. So I'm really excited about that. Low, this sounds really lame, but like sleep. That's my second week in a row where like I just my sleep has been terrible. So mm. I'm going to pray on that and work okay. on that. Do the Braves have like a like a cheer? Like you know, it's like go Tigers or go Dogs. Go Braves. Is yeah. it just go Braves? Yeah. Okay. Chop on. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Okay. I guess my low is similar with sleep. Uh, I feel like I've been doing, I mean, I've been busy, but I've also been like socially busy, like doing a lot of fun things because now it's summer and like all my friends want to go do all the things all the time, but then things do not get done around the house. And so then I'm left with all of that. So that's probably a low. And then maybe my high is in in tandem with that is like more social things, more fun things are happening. And uh, I'm an extrovert, mega extrovert. And so uh, it's nice to have those things to fill my time. With all my friends. Nice. Yeah. Well, we're going to go ahead and have our guests share their highs and lows. Our guest today is Matthew Vines. And I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us your high and your low. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, Let's see. My high would be, as we were discussing, my husband and I 
bought a house and we're about to move nice. into it in a couple weeks. Nice. Which is probably also a low because mm. of all the packing <laughs> right. and not excited about the process for it, but I'm excited for the outcome. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. Low would be that, well, I had COVID. Mm. I don't anymore. Was that your first time? It was actually, it was my first, first confirmed time. case. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't and either. And <laughs> I didn't like food for the next week because it, food tasted, certain foods tasted like oil. Right. Oh, it was gross. Yeah. Uh, and I was very tired and I had 102 fever. Uh, so true story. Um, I gave Catherine COVID. That's like confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Still better. <laughs> it was both of our first cases too. Yeah. my So we were at a karaoke um, evening with a bunch of people from church actually on like a uh, Tuesday at Ghost Train. Okay. With Blake. Or like something close to the weekend. Yeah. And my wife and I were there and hung out. And then like I came to work. It was that Thursday. I think we had a loft meeting, a circle up, and I was like, the room was spinning. I felt terrible. Katie was like, you should go home. I mean, imme- like I took that test and like had two strikes. Like it was yep. immediate. immediate. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I was sitting at a table with Amy, Jonathan's wife and Jonathan. And we were, it's loud at a karaoke night for obvious reasons. And so we were leaning in, talking to one another for, I mean, hours. So after he went home, and texted us that he was positive. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and just use my gut here yeah. and go get tested too. And then I was down for the count. So thanks that a lot. That was literally a year ago. That was Memorial yeah. Day weekend. And we were supposed to do a ago. service. Yep. Our combined service. Just did so a we had. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was nuts. But yeah, everything tastes like pennies. Well, that's how I felt whenever I did it. Yeah, it I, was didn't, just I didn't not like the taste. Mm-mm. 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 But my taste is basically back. Good. Good. That's I good. Think. Energy yeah. back. It is. Good. It is. Yeah. yeah, I was tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very tired. Yeah, I, w- I was. Woof. Yeah, it was rough. Not fun. So, Matthew, go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what kind of what you're here for to do. And this is something you do a lot. I guess your presentations or your discussions that you're going to do literally in an hour and a half for our congregation. <laughs> um, but I want to let you share a little bit about um, the title of this discussion and just a little bit about it. We'll get into uh, more of it deeper later on. Um, and have you shared, just have you share some about, um, this discussion that we're about to have? Yeah. Well, I'm here to give a presentation shortly <laughs> on the <laughs> biblical case for LGBTQ inclusion and the gist of it. I mean, I feel like maybe it's self-explanatory, but yeah. the purpose of it is, so I grew up in a conservative church in Kansas and when I was even just working through my beliefs on this topic, even before I came out to myself, the, the number one obstacle for most Christians when they feel some tension in their beliefs on this is their understanding of the Bible and of the key biblical texts that pertain to some form of same-sex behavior. And so the concern, even when, once I eventually did change my mind, the concern of many people I knew, of my parents, and of people in my church was that you would have to basically not believe in the Bible anymore mm. in order to support same-sex relationships. Yeah. And the way that this had been framed in our denomination, it was part of the Presbyterian denomination, and our church was part of the conservative wing of that denomination that has now largely left to other denominations. Mm. But the way that people often frame the conversation was that there are theological progressives who don't like Paul mm. and right. they do not like the apostle Paul <laughs> and they don't feel like they need to care what Paul said. And then there are theological conservatives who do like Paul and do care what Paul said. And I just felt like, well, I like Paul. 
<laughs> and I care what Paul said. And I still think that our interpretation of these passages is just lacking an important context and nuance and that we can still uh, affirm all of scripture as inspired by God and authoritative for our lives while also recognizing that there is a difference between the sort of same-sex behavior that is being described in scripture and the sorts of same-sex relationships that we're talking about in the church today. And part of my focus too has been so even though the church I grew up in was conservative, you could get a lot more conservative. We had women in leadership positions mm -hmm. um, okay. as elders. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know this at the time. Women could not be the senior pastor, but they could be an associate pastor. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of churches, that still yeah. would be seen as too progressive. For sure. Um, and we definitely had a more nuanced approach to biblical interpretation on a number of issues. So... I think this is true even in a lot of what I would call moderate non-affirming churches where they're going to have a more nuanced approach, whether the question is women in leadership, whether the question might be certain issues pertaining to science and the interpretation of Genesis, um, or even an issue like slavery that would be more just understanding it, the historical theological right. debates there. I grew up in church communities that didn't have a completely wooden approach to the Bible. They acknowledged, well, context matters and you can't always just apply something in a one-to-one -one way. Like we affirm the Bible, we affirm the Bible's authority. That doesn't always mean that it takes no work to figure things out though. And so part of my thinking was, well, I feel like I've been given some pretty good tools for interpreting the Bible in a thoughtful and informed way way and i don't see anybody trying to apply any of that same nuance when it comes to same-sex relationships when it comes to this topic the the nuance that we were so careful to apply to other topics just mm. went out the window huh. and so my point from the beginning is well i actually think if we just applied these same interpretive tools and methods that i have already been taught that have already been established and accepted if we just applied those with care and consistency to this topic, it could yield different conclusions. So that's really all I want to do. Okay. I don't want to come overturn and say everything you've ever learned about how to read the Bible needs to be thrown out the window. Right. No, I actually think that now it depends because some people have been raised in such conservative churches where they were not taught that there was such a thing as biblical interpretation. Mm. There is no interpretation. The Bible just is what it is and it speaks plainly and everybody would understand it the exact same way as I do if they only, you mm -hmm. know, you know, it, it, it and I think it, that's harder for people where there has not been any established acceptance of any room for nuance, right, in the approach. But for people in my churches and people like the way I was raised, I just thought, well, I've always been told that there is no contradiction between affirming the authority of the Bible and recognizing that some things in the Bible are culturally specific and do not directly apply. The principle of them may apply, but the application may look different in mm -hmm. our contemporary context. And there are so many examples of things like that. And so why is no one trying, like why is no one interested in any consistency when it comes to this topic? And I think it's just because no one had really been asking for that. Right. Um, for the most part, it's not an easy climate to come out. And so to the extent that anybody in the church I grew up in had come out, they generally left and came out and did not come back because they knew they were not going to be received well. Yeah. So I certainly understand why until I was the first person who had ever tried. It was a church of 2000 people. So a pretty big church. Yeah. 
And I was the first person who had ever come out and then tried to stay mm. and engage people in conversation, which was not easy. <laughs> and I would not say that it was successful. However, <laughs> um, it was successful for me in that I learned a lot from the process. Uh, it was excruciating at times, especially, you know, it's one thing to know how to have productive conversations with people who disagree with you in general. But it's a whole other ballgame when you're talking about people who have played an important role in your life for many years, right? Where you have a, an important pre-existing relationship. That's very different than just how to have a civil conversation with somebody you just met yeah. who disagrees with you. It's a lot more emotional. There's a lot more invested in it. And, you know, when so I would come out one by one or you go take various couples out to dinner mm. and it was stressful because in some cases, these are people who've been close friends with my parents from before I was even born, who then in some cases did not speak to my parents again. Mm. Wow. Because they strongly disagreed. Now, other people responded more positively, right? right? But so there's a whole spectrum of responses and just not knowing, it's the not knowing when you go into this mm -hmm. that's so stressful. And it's stressful for my parents too, even though they're not there. They're like, oh great, we just lost these friends. Oh, um, what, just for context, what year are you? This was 2010. 2010. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was going to ask, because you're already talking about this, but your relationships with these church people, up until this point in the church, were you like a church kid and you were there every Sunday? Were you involved and known and, and like well-known? Yes. Okay. So our family was very involved. My parents were both leaders in the church. Oh, okay. They were both elders yeah. in the church. They would help hire pastors in one case fire pastors okay <laughs> it was very stressful for my yeah. mother she was on a committee that had to uh unfortunately deal with allegations against a pastor nothing criminal right i mean there sure. are lots of, it's it, but but not good right and, and things that <laughs> right. things that are not things that sh somebody should not remain in you've the position. seen behind the curtain and yeah. so were, she yeah. then had to you know give the session, that's what they call it in the Presbyterian churches, mm -hmm. the session's recommendation that he be let go. And they didn't want to air all the dirty laundry. And so they just said, look, like there is a lot of evidence here. We're just going to give you some general categories and uh, without going into all the detail. And of course, then there's a backlash because you have the people who love this preaching, don't know about right. the lack of transparency, the way that staff yeah. are treated and things like that. So then she has to come out and do this whole like 45 minute speech where she's bringing out all the dirty laundry. But oh, my parents are both attorneys. So they're doing this very like lawyerly, like we're here to be objective. We're not here. You know, we're just yeah. trying to just the facts and things like that. Very stressful. But I mean, that's probably more detail than anyone cared for. <laughs> but my parents were very involved yeah. right. in the church. And uh, I loved the church growing up. And I think in many respects, it was a great church. I don't feel like I have tremendous uh, trauma or anything from the church, even though, of course, there are things that I think could have been better and and wish would have been better. But I got a lot of wonderful things from the church. It was so helpful for me in just giving me a strong foundation for my faith, a love for the Bible. And um, so I also was a very, I think, I think I was well respected and high achieving. And so I knew, oh, this is, uh, but we had had somebody like that two years older than me who came out he went to um, some fancy school and then and was super well liked and really smart, talented, would perform original songs, um, you know, on the okay. piano, wow. um, like on Sunday mornings. And then once he came out his sophomore year of college, it's like he had never existed. He was like the golden child until yeah, it's he like wasn't. he was erased. 
And it bothered me so much because even at that time, I still didn't quite know what to think about it um, because I'd been raised with one view and I felt tension around that view, but it's not like I was yet at a point of knowing I completely disagreed with it. Right. But I thought this is messed up. Like this is why are we like, you know, I, somebody was talking to my mom after church one Sunday and just whispering his name. Like it, there was this, these hushed tones of shame. And I just thought, Oh my goodness. Let's all grow up. <laughs> I mean, he's still alive. Yeah. Like, and do you know why he's not here right now? It's because you're acting like this. That's why he's not comfortable. That's why he doesn't want to come so back. So you picked up on that even as a kid. Well, I was a senior in high school at this okay, point. Okay, sure. And he was a sophomore. So, because he was just two years old than me. He was okay. my sister's age. Right. And I was just very frustrated by this. And I thought, well, at a minimum, you know what we should be doing when someone comes out? We should have some church meetings just to hear their stories. So people don't have to agree, mm. right? But people should know if there are people who've grown up in our church who we love who've been experiencing a lot of pain and they feel like they've been having to hide things, well, why can't they just share their stories so that people can just try to figure out how to be more loving? Well, this was a pipe dream. But what a wise 18-year-old Matthew. <laughs> but it just really frustrated me. And so then when I, a couple years later, came to terms, I first had to actually change my mind on the topic before I could even consider whether or not I was gay, okay. which helped me a lot because a lot of people struggle with feeling like, oh, I'm only changing my mind because I'm trying to justify who I am. And that's often the message that they will receive from people who will tell them exactly that. Well, in my case, no, I changed my mind. I did such a great job of repressing my sexuality. I was so good at it. I could have done it my whole life. Um, <laughs> so I repressed it even for my own conscious awareness. I mean, that's skill. Wow. So, wow. Um, but I, despite that, I was extremely concerned about my church's position on this because increasingly I was seeing how much harm I thought that was doing to people I was meeting. And it seemed so at odds with everything else I had learned about Jesus and the Bible. And I just thought we are shooting ourselves in the foot as a church. This is so harming the church's witness and it's harming so many people there. This is ruining the reputation of Christianity among young people and not for a good reason. It's not like, Oh, well we're the righteous remnant, but at least we're holding fast to truth. I don't even think this is true. Like I think this is not true. And even though I don't think most people's intentions are negative, the effects of it are disastrous. And if it's not even true, it's incredibly destructive. Uh, we should definitely stop. <laughs> we should definitely reconsider this. But so by this, so I first, so I then became passionate about it mm. for the sake of other people. I wanted to be an advocate for other people. Only once I became passionate about it as an issue where I was like, this is a justice issue. This is so important for the church to, to, to shift on. Uh, then six months later, I was finally got depressed enough that I was able to like, to, I don't think I would have even been able to ask myself those questions if I still thought it was wrong mm -hmm. or even had any question about whether it was wrong. Right. Um, and so then, but I also felt probably a little bit defiant when I, I have had a lot of feelings. I was not happy about being gay when I came to terms with this, but then I realized, well, why am I not happy? Do I actually have a good reason to not be happy? Cause I already have been working through this issue for several years on an impersonal level. And I decided I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So if there's not anything wrong with being gay. Why am I so upset about it? It's like, it's probably because I was a lot more excited to support other people. I did not want to go through this myself oh, and I don't know how my parents are going to respond. And now I feel like I don't have a very secure place in church anymore, just in general. And now when I look at a world map, it doesn't look as inviting anymore. Suddenly it's like, Oh wait, which are the countries <laughs> that I can go to without feeling wow, like yeah. concerned anymore? Um, I mean, there's still certain countries I don't want to go to, like mm -hmm. I would want to go to, but right. it's like, nah. everything has like an asterisk at now, like every right. choice, certainly like a condition. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, especially when you're like, you know, you're married. Well, we're not going to any number of countries yeah. where you can know.
No. Wow. Um, fortunately, there's still a lot you can explore in the world, but it's a weird feeling to feel like everything seemed, you know, the world was your oyster and then it's like, oh, you know, so I think I just felt like, okay, my only reasons for being depressed about this are really reasons based on other people's beliefs and attitudes. I know I don't agree with those beliefs. And so I was like, okay, well then that's not a good reason to be depressed about it. <laughs> well, it's a good reason. I can allow to be depressed at first, but it's not a good reason to stay depressed about it. I don't have any good reason to actually not be okay with this. And so, and I already was passionate about this and felt like we needed to be advocating for change in the church. And this probably makes it easier for me to do that or positions me to be able to speak to this more. Um, and I also just thought, no, we're not going to just pretend I never existed in my home church. We're not going to do that. Like, no, hmm. uh, we're going to have a conversation <laughs> and I'm here. And that is, was hard to do. I, you know, after a while of doing this, it was rather demoralizing because eventually you do kind of feel like you hit a wall and mm. you only know so many people personally and after a while you realize wow the culture here is so not receptive to this that there really is a limit to what you can accomplish but so that's when I ended up um, I gave a talk at a different church in my hometown this was 2012 that went viral about mm -hmm. the Bible and same-sex relationships right. that then was the led to the book that I wrote a couple years later and my organization, the Reformation Project that I started the next year. Um, but I was actually kind of pleased because the day that my book came out, two years later, my hometown newspaper, they did an article about it and they got a statement from the church that I grew up in. And the statement was, it was not bad, it was not good, but it was basically Matthew and his family were an important part of our church for many years. And, you know, we appreciate them. At the same time, we strongly disagree with, um, you know, his beliefs in his book and that sort of thing. And I just thought, this is so awesome because <laughs> I was not erased. They had <gasps> to acknowledge that I exist and that I existed. <laughs> you won. And I appreciated that they were not attacking, right. you know, and that they said something nice. And so I didn't feel like there was anything uncivil about it. But I also just appreciated, like, look, we're going to have a conversation. Right. And you may not agree, but, like, you cannot pretend like I never existed. Yeah. You know? And, and so I, I, was, uh, I was grateful for that. Good. That is good. So you've touched on a lot, Matthew. We really appreciate um, your openness and sharing. Um, so I, it's funny you brought up your viral video um, and your book. So, like, I've worked with students my pretty much like most of my career and transitioned to a um, pastor role during the pandemic, which was amazing and fun. But one of the reasons that, you know, a decade ago that this was something that became really important to me is like you have students that I love that were coming out and could not come out at home, um, but felt safe to be surrounded by their youth group, their friends, their family, their church that loved them. And so, and, and I've had continual conversations over the last decade with young adults in particular because I still work with young adults. And I guess my question would be, because this comes up, like they love the church. Um, they love God. They love Jesus. Um, they believe in the Holy Spirit. Yet um, the place that they love, the God they love, um, the institution has hurt them in horrible ways. Some of which, like, are on the fence of, like, I love this place, but, like, I don't know how to walk back in the door and feel safe. Like, so yeah. my question would be, like, what do you, what do you say to them um, as advice, as, like, 
being a queer person. But beyond that, my follow-up to that would be, what, what do you say to the church that has done that? It's a great question. I feel like it's very case by case. Um, certainly there are people who need a break. Oh, that's, for sure. mm-hmm. that's definitely something that even if there were the perfect church for them, sometimes people after a really difficult experience, they just need a breather. Yep. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there are other things that sometimes people need to spend time working through their, their beliefs in terms of, if they, a lot of people don't have the same, I feel like I was kind of fortunate to be able to come out to myself even after I'd already worked through my beliefs on the topic. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to be in a much more confident position than when coming out to family and friends at church. But a lot of people, maybe they find themselves, things don't go according to plan or somebody, you know, they get outed. And, and so people may be still struggling with their own beliefs or understanding of, is this really okay? Can I really be a Christian? And how does this all work? And so, I mean, there's, I don't know. There's just a lot for people to, pr- I think it's great when people can just find, sometimes it's supportive individuals who are Christians yeah. who are able to just, because if, if you feel like everyone you ever knew in your life who taught you about your faith has now turned their back on you, yeah. that is really hard for a lot of people to then figure out, well, how do I even hold on to this anymore if everybody who was supporting me in this just pulled the rug out from under me? So sometimes it is just a process of relation, like individual relationships before people ever might feel comfortable actually participating in a church right. community again. Wow, yeah. Um, but then when it comes to the church, well, this is part of my part of my uh, whole case is that I think that the church's rejection on this topic has caused a lot of bad fruit. Mm. I think there's been tremendous destruction, and I don't think that's consistent with what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And that principle, I also don't see, this is not common. Like, it's not like I saw a bunch of church teachings that I saw producing this. Um, There are church teachings that are difficult, many of them, but there's a difference between difficult and just needlessly destructive. Mm. Mm. So, you know, carrying your cross or even laying down your life for a friend or something. That's obviously very difficult in one sense. It is destructive, but for uh, clearly like you can clearly tell what the positive benefit and the purpose of that is. I don't think suffering just for its own sake, right? This it's suffering isn't inherently a virtuous thing. If you have to be suffering for a specific purpose that should be discernible. And so if you just have a tremendous amount of suffering with no discernible purpose, nothing that is clearly being gained from that people that it's not actually helping them become more like Christ, but it's actually undermining their relationship with God, with others, with the church. All of that is very inconsistent with the way that good Christian teachings work and should work. So I think it's just a big red flag that it should indicate, Hey, let's take a closer look at this because this does, this should not be the result. Right. If we have a good tree. Yeah. It's, wow. <laughs> I'm going to date myself. Um, do you know who DC Talk is, Matthew? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I do, too. <laughs> I've heard of When them. I was in high school, um, I think it was the Jesus Freak album. Like, I was in ninth grade, maybe. Great album. Great album. I loved it. <laughs> Still amazing album. But, like, one of the tracks starts off 
and they're like the greatest cause of atheism in the world are Christians. And I remember like being in ninth grade and just mind exploding. <laughs> and not that that's, I, you, I think your point, what I'm hearing and gleaning and what I kind of like am amening to is, you know, that destruction, that bad fruit is turning people away from the church and away from God. And we see, you know, you see Pew reports of, the declining and mainstream yeah. denominations. Well, and year it's turning them year. away for a reason that is actually a very Christian reason because they care deeply about their friends who are different, who are being mistreated. Amen. Right. It's not turning them away because they want to be hedonistic. Yeah. Right? right. If the church were saying, actually, no, we shouldn't all be just reveling in excess all the time and, you know, miss, uh, you know, if the church were putting forward a truly Christian message and society said, nope, we don't want to do that. We want to do things that are clearly antithetical to the way of Jesus. Well, there's only so much you can do about that. Sure. The church right. should stick with the message, even if it's turning people away. But if what's turning people away is actually a very Christian reason, if people say, oh, I'm not interested in Jesus because I care deeply about people who are different and who are outcasts and who are treated differently. Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. That's topsy-turvy. That's a reason you should be interested in Jesus. That's one of the reasons many of us, it's a big reason many of us are Christians mm -hmm. to start with. And so if that is going on, something has gotten put way under a bushel. <laughs> There's a dissonance. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So I want to know just, I mean, how long have you been, would you say you've been giving this case? Well, um, probably since that first talk I did in 2012. Yeah. Wow. So more than 10 years. Yeah. I'm curious to know um, what are some common people maybe approach you or they email you or they're all up in your grill about their, they've got their questions and their convictions about it. Or what are some common conversations you find yourself in or maybe you found yourself in right after you started um, as far as people's response to your case? What can you, can you touch a little bit on that? It's a good question. I mean, the, a wide range of responses. Right. Uh, I also am pretty, I don't mind people disagreeing and I don't mind people being critical as long as people aren't nasty. Yeah. And most people do a good job of that in my experience. That's great. That's um, really good. Yeah. I also, I feel like I have a good ability to, when people are nasty, I instantly forget about it and wow. I just move on. Gosh, I wish I could be are like you, that. <laughs> I'm just curious now. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Enneagram? Yeah. Uh, well, do you, are you? Uh, I'm an Enneagram a, 27. 20, I love that. <laughs> yeah. You're a 10 in my book. So. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm a three. I okay. see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So optics and. So I guess I can. So I'm an eight. Um, okay. Jonathan's a seven. Um, and so for me, I, I guess if I were. I'm, I'm straight. So I'm not in the queer community and I can't fully resonate. But for people to to constantly bombard or come like that's, that's continuously hard for me. And it's something I'm still working on, um, or receiving people's just ick about other thoughts about it, you know, instead of me just saying, well, I just gave a whole talk. Like, what do you, what's, what's the hold up? Whereas for you, I feel like it's maybe there's some patience, but for you, it's also like, you know, when to let go. Yeah. And I guess I also, I do feel quite confident in my argument. Mm. So that helps a lot because yeah. I do think that, some people are not ready to engage. Sure. Some people, I would say, do not presently have ears to hear. And that's okay. I cannot force anybody to be ready to engage. But there are always some people who are ready, but still have questions. 
And so I just love being able to engage those people in particular. And I feel like I'm when I'm able to dedicate my energy toward that group of people, it makes me a lot happier, right? Yeah. Because there are people you could talk to where it feels like you're talking to a wall because you're so far apart that no matter how great your argument is, oh yeah, it doesn't that's not really going to move anything. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking to somebody who isn't there but has some openness, has some tension that they feel and has specific concerns or specific questions, then they want to engage it at that level. I love doing that. Yeah. So I feel like that's part of my goal is just, yeah, some of the responses would just be so negative that they are clear. It's clearly coming from somebody who is not, they don't see this as a conversation that should even be had. And so my feeling is, well, you just, I don't want to invest a ton of my energy there. You should be kind and loving. Uh, and maybe in 10 years, they'll be in a different place. You have no idea what might be going on in their life over that period that could change that. But instead, I'm going to focus on the people who are willing to even engage the argument. And because I feel confident about my argument, I think that also helps me stay calm and patient because I do think that the argument, I think truth will out. (laughs) And that the argument over time, as people engage and push back, will prove itself to be sound. Yeah. That's a great perspective. You're saving your energy at the same time. Also, I think this is, I mean, this is like just meeting you and listening to you right now. It Okay. Learned that both your parents were lawyers, both leaders in church, and you use the word, I mean, and you do, like uh, it, you're, you're giving a case, right? <laughs> like a lawyer. Um, and to, but what I love about this is like your parents modeled leadership in front of you, both your mom and your dad. And, uh, you know, we were talking before you got in here and I grew up in a Southern Baptist denomination and you know, they don't ordain women. Right. Um, I mean, your ceiling in that denomination is very low. Yes. Um, I mean, like children's minister is about like as high as you can go. And y- it's hard for me. Like I'm still friends with a lot of those people and I love them it's hard to even have this conversation that we're having today when I don't think you fully see women as equal. Right. And so I don't know that was more of a statement than anything, (laughs) but um, I'm just curious, I guess the question to that would be like how you've talked a lot about like different perspectives that people are coming at this from. You use, I think like progressive interpretation and you use like Christians that like, like the Bible, but not like Paul and right. You're right. I guess my question would be like to the ones that are coming, cause we have folks walking through our doors weekly that like they're coming from that place where we don't even use instruments in church. Or right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't like women do not lead in our churches. So that's like very primitive. So like what would be your message to those folks? Cause I, th- I think for a lot of those folks, like they need hope and they need like, to know that they're seen. And so, um, yeah. Well, so my message, so are you saying these are people who then are uncomfortable with the fact that there are instruments here or are uncomfortable with the fact that there are women in leadership here or like wh- where I, that's are these? their background. Right. So their baseline for church and like what it is, is this, what we're talking about right now is like going to blow their mind. It's almost too much too fast. Right. <laughs> So how do you, I guess, help them in their process of, like, doing what's the work that you're, like, 
promoting. Well, one thing that I like to do is just to be clear about common ground from the beginning. And I do think that so often we just focus on the areas where people disagree mm. and then it's easier for people to assume, oh, this one disagreement is representative of probably a thousand other disagreements. And right. so you can't isolate the issues that you're talking about because it turns into um, just it, 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 everything starts to feel existential even when it sure. isn't necessarily. And so I tend to start with like here, just what I believe as a Christian, mm, like, good. I believe, you know, what first Corinthians 15, three through five says about, you know, when Paul says, this is the gospel that was, you know, handed down to me that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day. I believe the apostles creed. I believe the Nicene creed. I believe in the Trinity, right? God is father, son, and Holy spirit. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was raised from the dead is coming again. Um, and I believe in the Bible. I believe that the Bible is inspired and authoritative for my life. And so I think, even being able to establish just some basic premises where they would say, well, okay, I agree with that. Mm. <laughs> I, I also believe those things. Mm. It can help turn down the temperature a little bit in terms of people realizing, yes, this is an important topic. It's significant and, and challenging to work through, but changing your mind on same sex relationships does not mean that you need to stop believing in Jesus. It does not mean that you need to decide that the Bible is bad, right? Like, there's it doesn't have to be packaged with every other issue you've ever heard of <laughs> and that you have to change your mind on a thousand issues and right. they're one package deal i think a lot of people have that perception and a lot of our social media algorithms promote that perception mm -hmm. because they promote the phenomenon of negative polarization mm. where you get groups promoting things that you're like what you never would have promoted that 10 years ago but it's more well but this other group that i see as the enemy is against it so now i'm for it and it's, and i think that phenomenon makes it really hard for people to feel like wait but this is the belief of the other group that i don't like for five unrelated reasons or something and it's like well maybe we should i want to be able to just analyze specific issues and specific topics on their own <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> you shouldn't like that's just not a very nuanced way of approaching sure. things and yeah. people will still disagree on a whole lot of things, but we've been able, the church has changed its thinking and it's changed its position on contentious issues in the past and people still disagree on a bunch of other things. So it's possible <laughs> to, it's not like we all have to like, you know, so many different denominations will continue to exist. People will have lots of different ideas about baptism and uh, Calvinism and you know, whatever the I case may be, and Catholicism, right? Sure. Like, uh, but this does not have to be, you know, thrown in. It, like, this is a separate question that should be analyzed independently and that can, I think, Christians of all denominational and theological backgrounds have the ability to assess this question in a different light. Sure. Yeah. And we can keep disagreeing on the other things. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Matthew, thanks so much again for joining us and just given us i mean uh jonathan and i will be in your conversation obviously in an hour um but i appreciate you being here and being a part of us relaunching this and sharing this and hopefully we'll have a lot of people that are able to access this and and get something from it um our last thing that i want to do that i'm doing with most of the guests so far you're the second guest so we're speaking very broadly but um <laughs> i want to ask you and i emailed you this but any resources i know you have some that you'll talk about too in your discussion 
but any resources that you want to uplift or share things that have been important to you and your journey and your work, um, including your book, your very own book. And then maybe some other things, um, you know, some fun things like TV shows or music or movies that you've been really into lately, uh, that you just want to like lift up. Yeah. Have you seen mash? It's a new TV <laughs> show that is really, I think going to be big. Um, no, uh, when it comes to uh, resources, I would say the Reformation Project, the nonprofit that I run, we host a biannual conference called the Reconcile and Reform Conference. It's coming up this year. It's going to be in Nashville at the end of October. It's October cool. 26th through the 28th, which so people can register for that already. And it's just a great weekend of worship, biblical teaching, connection, relationships for primarily for Christians who are affirming but who are trying to continue to reach other christians who still we'd like to help move more in that direction wow so it's it's for anybody regardless of your sexual orientation uh but it's and you don't have to be affirming to come either we're and you don't have to be a christian to come either that's just the primary focus of it um but if people are interested in you know, that experience hearing from speakers and theologians from across the country and connecting with other Christians who are seeking to open up this conversation uh, throughout the church and especially in churches where there's still a need to really open up the conversation. People should come. Um, Other than that, uh, well, I did a video curriculum. I filmed a seven hour video curriculum called The Biblical Case for LGBTQ Inclusion a couple years ago. That's available at ReformationProject.org. Awesome. I, I was pleased with how it turned out. Uh, I hope. It was my big COVID project. And a book I would definitely recommend is a book called Bible, Gender, Sexuality by Jim Brownson. It's a, more of a seminary level book. Yeah. So it's it takes a commitment. But if you like that sort of thing, it's a beautiful, beautifully written, really thorough resource yeah. that I always recommend. I have that one. I read that in grad school a few years ago. I have it on my bookshelf. That's a really good one. Where'd you go to grad school? (laughs) So uh, I got my master's in church music at Sanford University here in Birmingham. Um, Not a super progressive institution. Pretty progressive individual right here. And so um, that's a story for another day. (laughs) Um, But I will say I was a part of circles that were progressive and and lots of friends and colleagues and mentors that were affirming. So I did a lot of work with them. And I I went to the Calvin Institute, the symposium that they do for worship. Um, every year and that's where I found the book Um, and I picked it up because I was needing that conversation because I was having a lack of it in my circles and stuff it was not part of a curriculum oh no because I was was impressed I thought wow that's pretty cool no maybe one day Um, but no that was all me and so that's a great book I I read it a few years ago Um, awesome Um, let's see that's all we have we Young Royals it. was a great TV show. <laughs> Young it, Royals. If anyone watched that. Never heard what of it. What is it about? Uh, it's gay Swedish royalty. Um, okay. It was in that. 20. It's a Swedish show. It was the first season came out in 2021. Second season came out last year. The first season was phenomenal. I think okay. it's the best thing Netflix has ever produced. Young Royals. Okay. Young Royals. Yeah. Everybody go watch it right now. It's, it's quite good. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, friends, thanks again for joining us today on Uncommon Communion Episode 2 with Matthew Vines. Um, you can find us on social media, on Instagram at First Church Birmingham, and on TikTok at First Church Birmingham. And you can also find us on our website, www.firstchurchbhm.com. Have a great week. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. See y'all later. <laughs> <laughs>